one chapter eight of clara vaughan volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by lynn thompson clara vaughan volume one by r d blackmore book one chapter eight Soon after this, a ridiculous thing occurred, the consequences of which were grave enough. The summer and autumn, after that weary drought, were rather wet and stormy. One night, towards the end of October, it blew a heavy gale after torrents of rain. Going to the churchyard next day, I found, as I had expected, that the flowers so carefully kept through the summer were shattered and strewn by the tempest and so i returned to the garden for others to plant in their stead my cousin clement as he was told to call himself came sauntering towards me among the beds his usual look of shallow brightness and empty self-esteem had failed him for the moment and he looked like a fan-tailed pigeon who has tumbled down the horse-rack he followed me to and fro with a sort of stuttering walk as i chose the plants i liked best but i took little notice of him for such had been my course since I first discovered their scheme. At last, as I stooped to dig up a white verbena, he came behind me and began his errand with more than his usual lisp. This I shall not copy, as it is not worth the trouble. Oh, Clara, he said, I want to tell you something, if you'll only be good-natured. Don't you see I am busy now? I replied, without turning to look. Won't it do when you have taken your curl papers off? Now, Clara, you know that I never use curl papers. My hair doesn't want it. You know it's much prettier than your long, waving black stuff, and it curls of its own accord if Mamma only brushes it. But I want to tell you something particular. Well, then, be quick, for I am going away. And with that I stood up and confronted him. He was scarcely so tall as myself, and his light, showy dress and pink rose of a face, which seemed made to be warm in the hair, were thrown into brighter relief by my sombre apparel and earnest twilight look some lurking sense of this contrast seemed to add to his hesitation at last he began again you know cousin clara you must not be angry with me because it isn't my fault what is not your fault why that i should fall what do they call it fall in love i suppose you fall in love you dissolute doll how dare you fall in love sir without my leave well i was afraid to ask you clara i couldn't tell what you would say oh that must depend of course on who mrs doll is to be if it's a good little thing with blue satin arms and a sash and a slip and pretty blue eyes that go with a string perhaps i'll forgive you poor child and set you up with a house and a tea-set and a mother-of-pearl perambulator now don't talk nonsense he answered before long i shall be a man and then you'll be afraid of me and put up your hands and shriek and want me to kiss you i had indulged him too much and his tongue was taking liberties i soon stopped him how dare you bark at me you wretched little white-walled nursery dog i left him and went with my basket of flowers along the path to the churchyard for a while he stood there frightened till his mother looked forth from the drawing-room window between the two fears he chose the less and followed me to my father's grave i stood there and angrily waved him back 
but he still persisted, though trembling. "'Cousin Clara,' he said, and his list was quite gone, and he tried to be in a passion. "'Cousin Clara, you shall hear what I have got to say. You have lived with me now a long time, and I'm sure we have agreed very well, and I, I, no, I don't see why we should not be married.' "'Don't you indeed, sir?' "'Perhaps,' he continued, "'you are afraid that I don't care about you. "'Really, now, I often think that you would be very good-looking "'if you would only laugh now and then, "'and leave off those nasty black gowns. "'And then, if you would only leave off being so grand and mysterious and stately "'and getting up so early, "'I would let you do as you liked, "'and you might paint me and have a lock of my hair.' "'Clement Doldy,' I asked, "'do you see that lake?' yes he replied turning pale and inclined to fly there's water enough there now if you ever dare again to say one word like this to me or even to show by your looks that you think it i'll take you and drown you there as sure as my father lies here he slunk away quickly without a word and could eat no lunch that day in the afternoon as i sat in my favourite bow-window seat mrs doldy glided in she had put on with care her clinging smile as she would an indian shawl i thought how much better her face would have looked with its natural bold haughty gaze my dear clara began this pious tide-waiter what have you done to vex so your poor cousin clement only this mrs doldy he was foolish or mad and i gave him advice in a truly christian spirit entirely for his own good i hope my dear that some day it may be his duty as well as his privilege to advise you but of course you need not take his advice my clara loves her own way as much as any girl i ever knew and with poor clement she will be safe to have it no doubt of that i replied and then my pet you will be in a far better position than you could attain as an unmarried girl to pursue the great aim of your life so far i mean as is not inconsistent with the spirit of Christian forgiveness. Your guardian has thought of that in effecting this arrangement, and I trust that I was not wrong in allowing so fair a prospect, under providence, of your ultimate peace of mind to influence me considerably when he sought my consent. I am sure I am much obliged to you. I cannot conceal from you, so clear-sighted as you are, and if I could I object to concealment of any kind on principle, that there are also certain worldly advantages which are not without weight however the heart be weaned by trials and chastened from transient things and your guardian has this arrangement so very much at heart my own dear child i have felt for you so long that i love you as a daughter how thankful i ought to be to the giver of all good things to have you really my own dear child be thankful madam when you have got it this is a good thing under which providence you must learn to do without it was coarse of me to hint at my riches but what could i do with her why clara she asked in great amazement you cannot be so foolish and wilful as to throw away this chance of revenge if only for your dear mother's sake as well as your father's it is the path of duty let me tell you both she and yourself are very much more in your guardian's power than you have any idea and what would be your poor father's wish who has left you so entirely to his brother's care and discretion would you put off for ever the discovery of his murderer my father i said proudly 
would scorn me for doing a thing below him and myself the last of the vaughans to be plotted away to a grocer's doll it had been a trial of temper and contempt was too much for hypocrisy through the rouge of the world and the pearl powder of religion nature flushed forth on her cheek for she really loved her son she knew where to wound me the deepest is it no condescension in us that my beautiful boy should stoop to the maniac child of a man who was stabbed stabbed in his midnight bed to atone no doubt for some low act of his own i sprang up and rang the bell thomas kenwood who made a point of attending me came at once i said to him calmly and slowly allow this person one hour to pack her things get a fly from the walnut tree in and see her beyond the lodge if i had told him to drag her away by the hair i believe that man would have done it she shrunk away from me for the moment her spirit was quelled and she trembled into a chair i assure you clara i did not mean what i said you provoked me so not one word more leave the room and the house miss vaughan i will not leave this house until your guardian returns thomas i said without looking towards her if mrs doldy is not gone in an hour you quit my service how thomas kenwood managed it i never asked he was a resolute man and all the servants obeyed him she turned round once as she crossed the threshold and gave me a look which i shall never forget was such the look that had glared on my father before the blow she lifted the white arm of which she was proud and threw back her head like the fischl hurling his dart clara vaughan you shall bitterly grieve for this it shall throw you and your mother at the feet of your father's murderer and you shall crave meat worse than your enemy's blood until she had quitted the house i could not sit down but went to my father's bedroom where i often took refuge when strongly excited and unable to fly to his grave the thoughts and the memories hovering and sighing around that fatal chamber were enough to calm and delay the sensations of trivial wrong but now this was not the case the outrage offered had been not to me but to him who seemed present there the suggestion too of an injury done by my father though scorned at first was working and ruffling within me as children put bearded corn ears in another's sleeve which by and by worked their own way to the breast till now i had always believed that some worldly advantage or gain had impelled my foe to the deed which left me an orphan but that woman's dark words had started a new train of reasoning whose very first motion was doubt of the man i worshipped among all i had ever met there existed but one opinion as to what he had been a true gentleman who had injured not one of god's creatures whose life had been guided mainly by the wishes and welfare of others moreover i had my own clear recollections his voice his eyes and his smile his manner and whole expression these it is true were but outward things yet a child's intuition is strong and hard to refute again during my remembrance he had never been absent from us except for a day or two now and then among his county neighbours and any ill-will which he might have incurred from them must from his position have become notorious and yet in the teeth of this reasoning and in spite of my own warm feeling that horrible suspicion clave to my heart and chilled it like the black spot of mildew 
and what if the charge were true in that case how was i better than he who had always been to my mind a fiend in special commission his was vengeance and mine revenge he had suffered perhaps a wanton wrong as deep to his honour as mine to my love while i was brooding thus miserably my eyes fell upon the bed there were the red streaks grained and fibred like the cross-cut of a fern-stalk framed and looking down on me the sampler of my life drawing near i trembled with an unknown awe to find myself in that lonely presence not indeed thinking but inkling such things of my father my own darling father whose blood was looking at me in a storm of self-loathing and sorrow i knelt there and sobbed my atonement but never thenceforth could i wholly bar out the idea foul ideas when once submitted will ever return on their track as the cholera walks in on the trail of its former paw but instead of abating my dogged pursuit i now had a new incentive to dispel the aspersions cast on my father's shadow end of book one chapter eight